As always, our worship team does such an awesome job of bringing creative expressions of worship to this community. And that's what we love, is we serve the Creator God who created the beauty and diversity we see in the world around us, and we can honor Him with any of our own creative expressions as well. Hey, I'm really excited to dive into God's Word. As you know, we're in a sermon series called One. It's a series going through the book of Acts. We're coming to chapter 8 today, chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. I'd encourage you, grab a Bible, uh, pull out your version Bible app if you haven't done so already. The, uh, the series is called One because the book of Acts talks about the one God who establishes one church, gives that church one mission, which becomes the one focus of our lives. Like Nikki talked about up front, we're talking today about routines. And here's the question. Do you have any routines? I know I've got routines, and here's one of the critical ones. It happens every single day. I wake up in the morning, and you might know what this is like. I wake up, and I get out of bed. But the thing is, even though I'm standing up, and I'm moving, and maybe even I'm talking, I'm just not actually quite awake yet. And in this semi-dream state, somewhere between waking and sleeping, I managed to walk out of my bedroom, down the hallway, down the stairs, always risky to do when you're half asleep, through the kitchen, and then I get to the corner where my coffee pot sits. And I open the cupboard, and I pull out the cup. I mean, let's be honest, I could do it with my eyes closed, and I set the cup down on the counter, and then there's this really just just amazing piece of technology that has made it so that by the time I get downstairs, the coffee pot has already made my coffee for me. And and I pour the cup, and I hear the sound, and then, once I drink the coffee, then I can say that the day has has begun, and I'm awake. I was actually talking to one pastor friend I was like, hey, you should come to the gym with me in the morning. And he's like, no, 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 Carl. I'm not a Christian before 9 a.m. I need to drink the coffee and let it get into my blood before I can say I'm really following Jesus today. I kind of laughed at that. But I bet that there's a lot of you out there who, like me, have a pretty strong morning routine that centers on our coffee. But what are your other routines in life? You might have a morning routine. You might have an evening routine. You might have some workday rituals you go through. If you're a parent, I bet you've got some before school or some after school routines or some bedtime routines. And Lord, just help us. Help us make those routines actually happen because life is so much better. But here's the thing about routines. On the one hand, Routines are so good. They're such a gift, right? Routines, they give us rails to run on if ever we're confused or distracted in life. It's the routine that allows me to make it downstairs even while I'm half asleep because my body already knows what to do. Routines can be really helpful. But the thing is, routines are complicated because whereas they can be really helpful on the one hand, They can also just as easily turn into a rut that makes us stuck. Routines can be helpful, or routines can be a rut. And then beyond that, there's this really just 
deeply challenging problem that we have to face, which is what happens when my routines get broken? I experienced this the other morning when I came downstairs and I opened the cupboard and I pulled out the coffee cup and I set it down and I'd forgotten to set up the coffee the night before. And I just stood there and cried. Okay, I didn't, I didn't cry. But <clears throat> I think you're with me that routines are complicated because for as good and helpful as they are, when we find them broken, it can be very disturbing and unsettling in our life. And the truth is, as much as my coffee routine is pretty serious to me, you and I both know that we're living in a season where even more significant routines in life are being constantly upended, ripped out from under us, and broken open. I mean, back in March, when COVID first hit, all of our routines, literally every routine in life, got completely broken. And since then, it's been this cycle of, okay, I've got a new normal, and that gets ripped out from under me. And then I get a new normal, and it gets ripped out from under me. And then I get a new normal. It's like, can't I just have something stay for more than a day in my life? So routines are complicated. They can be great helps. They can be ruts we get stuck in. And when they're broken, all of their goodness becomes a problem we have to face up to in our lives. How do you respond when routines in your life get broken? And here's the real question that we're going to dig into this morning. What would it take for you to hold even your most cherished routines up to God and say, God, what would you have me do with these routines? What would it take for you to even change your own routines because God led you to do so? That's the question that I want us to dig into and think about together this morning. Now, here's where we're at in the book of Acts. You might remember, Jesus gave the church a mission, a mandate. I want you to make disciples by going into all nations, baptizing people, and teaching them everything. And the church in Jerusalem was a place of great fellowship and community. They were daily feeding those who were in need. They were sharing their possessions in common, and they were worshiping God and studying the scriptures all the time. And over the past couple weeks, we've met a man named Philip. Philip was first one of the seven church administrators chosen to oversee that daily distribution of food. But the problem is, right after we meet Philip, the church suffers great persecution. One of Philip's friends, a man named Stephen, is publicly executed for his faith. And then a great opposition breaks out against the church, and the church who was just moments ago a close community in Jerusalem has now been scattered around the Roman Empire. All that the church was familiar with and comfortable with has just been upended, and they've literally been physically displaced from their homes. So right when we meet Philip, we know that Philip was a man whose routines have been upended. And we actually know that Philip definitely had some routines. Just as a reminder, we learned that he was a Hellenistic Jew. That means that ethnically, he was not Jewish ethnically by his ancestry. Rather, he was Hellenistic or Greek. But religiously, 
he was a faithful Jewish man. Maybe even for generations, his family had been Jewish people following Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so we know that he had some routines in life. He had routines of worshiping at temple. He had routines of daily prayer. He had routines of memorizing and reciting scripture. And then, of course, as part of the church in Jerusalem, he had routines of studying scripture, of living in community, of practicing generosity, and of committing himself to prayer. However, all of those routines have just been upended. And we talked last week about how when routines get upended, there's an internal desire to try and get back to the way things used to be. It's like things are good, but everything gets changed and I get scattered. So there's this instinct we have as humans to just try and get back to the way things were. But Philip didn't want to get back because he took seriously Jesus' command to make disciples by going into all nations. And so even though Philip's routines had been completely upended, he resisted the temptation to go back to the familiar and rather leaned into God's mission to go and tell people about Jesus. He did it in the previous passage with a man named Simon who was a sorcerer who lived in Samaria, which just makes me so happy that that alliteration is just right there in the scripture. I don't even have to write the alliteration. It's just right there, Simon the Samarian sorcerer. And we're going to read today about even more uh, new, different, unfamiliar territory that Philip finds himself going into. We're going to see how Philip responds when his routines are broken. And here's my challenge. May it be that all of us, that you and me and we as a church, may it be that we respond in our own lives and in our own community the same way Philip did in his. So here's the story again. We're Acts chapter 8, verse 26 through the end of the chapter. I'm going to read through the whole story right now. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home, was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. 
Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Okay, as usual, I want to talk to you a little bit about the context of this story. See, if you were uh, living in the ancient Near East, in and around Jerusalem, around 30 AD, there's a number of points that were made in this story that would have jumped out at you. And we always want to make sure that the things that would have jumped out to the first audience, that we don't miss them today. So there's four points of context I want to mention. There is the political context, the racial context, the religious context, and the geographical context. First, political. Philip, as we said, was a Hellenistic Jew living in Jerusalem under the Roman Empire. And he meets a man who is a high-ranking official in charge of the treasury, that's a big deal, from a foreign government working under the queen of Ethiopia. Now, we've talked about in previous sermons how even in within Judaism and within the early church, there were differences of opinion about the way God's people should interact with government authorities. But suffice to say that for Philip, interacting with a high-ranking government official from Ethiopia was not his normal social circle. This was not the kind of person that Philip would cross paths with in any sort of day-to-day activity. I mean, think about it for a second. You know what this is like. I know what this is like. We as human beings, we tend towards We tend to make relationships with and feel more comfortable around people in the same social circles as us, people in the same professions as us, people who live in the same neighborhoods as us, whose kids go to the same schools as ours. We are more comfortable living and relating in the social circumstances we're familiar with. And Philip has just found himself led by God to interact with somebody from a wildly different circle. The story starts by indicating that Philip has been led way outside the routines of his normal social life. Second, we have the racial context. We know already that the church in Jerusalem has experienced some tensions along racial or ethnic lines. The Hellenistic Jews and the Hebraic Jews have had some conflict with one another. We also know that God has told his church to go out into all the nations 
And that when you cross lines of race and ethnicity, crossing those boundary lines often is fraught with relational difficulty. So we yet again see Philip being led outside of the familiar paths that he walks in relationship with a man who was most likely a black man, and he is now being led according to Jesus's mission even further out into all the nations. But again, just like politically, Philip was outside of his routine. Now in a racial way, Philip is outside of his familiar contexts. Third, maybe the most weighty of it all, is the religious context of what's going on now. So Philip is a Jewish man. And for Philip, his faith in Jesus is a natural expression of his Jewish faith as well. These two things go naturally together. And we meet this man from Ethiopia, and we get a really interesting tidbit. We find out that he has traveled from Ethiopia to Jerusalem. This is a giant trip, especially if you're traveling by chariot. So right off the bat, this man has expended huge amounts of resources in order to go to Jerusalem to worship, presumably at the temple. However, when Philip talks to him, the man also says he doesn't understand the meaning of the prophet Isaiah. So we're left wondering, what exactly is this Ethiopian man's faith like? On the one hand, he's very, very committed, so committed that he'll travel all the way to Jerusalem and back. On the other hand, he still has a lot of questions. It's just sort of left open for us to say, we don't know exactly who this, what this Ethiopian man believes, but we do know that he's interested. He's interested in learning more about faith. Last but not least, we have the geographical context. We just get this one little note. The Spirit led Philip down the road from Jerusalem to Gaza, the desert road. Now here's the thing about the ancient Roman Empire. They knew how to build roads. They had some amazing roads. They had the ancient equivalent of superhighways. Okay, to us, it wouldn't look like a superhighway, but to them, they had some superhighways on which lots of people would travel every single day. But when the author writes that they're on the road from Jerusalem to Gaza, they want us to note that this is not one of the superhighways. This is a desert road, backwater, middle of nowhere, rural road 12. If you pop a tire or break an axle on the side of this road, ain't nobody coming to help you for a long, long time. Yet one more way that Philip has been led outside of his normal routines because nobody goes on this road in the midst of their everyday life. So the first observation we need to make is that this encounter was as far outside of Philip's routine as imaginable. Philip is outside of his normal political world. He's outside of his normal ethnic world. He's outside of his normal religious environment, and he's outside of his normal geographic circumstances. 
I mean, let that sink in for a minute. When was the last time you found yourself that far outside of the familiar? Crossing that many boundaries in that short of time and being so outside what you're used to can be a very uncomfortable experience. Philip has been led by God outside of his routine. But that brings us to the second and really most critical point of this whole story. See, the beginning of the story starts by saying, the Spirit led Philip to go down this road. And then when Philip went down this road, the Spirit led Philip to go and stand next to the chariot. And the implication is, when the man invited Philip up into the chariot, that was the Spirit's continued leading to have this conversation. And sure enough, because Philip followed the leading of the Spirit, this man committed his life to Christ and was baptized right there. And then sure enough, the story rounds out by saying Philip was taken by the Spirit and whisked away. Now, we could go down all sorts of rabbit trails about, was this some sort of divine teleportation? Like, did, did, did Philip have Scotty beaming him up? And if so, can I get a spiritual teleportation? Because I'd really love to skip my morning commute if I could. Fact of the matter is, though, that would be completely missing the point. That's not what the story is trying to say. Rather, the story says at the very beginning and ties it together at the very end, everything happened right here because of the leading of the Spirit. Which means for Philip, the way he lived his life is that Philip allowed the leading of the Spirit to change his routine. We don't get a lot about exactly what that looked like or felt like or sounded like, but the story is made clear that Philip created space in his life so that God could change what he was familiar with, change the rails he would normally run down, change the patterns and routines he was comfortable living in, and change them so that Philip could continue to do the work that God had given him to do. And as always, after we read Scripture and talk about it for a little bit, we have to come around and say, so what's your move going to be? What's my move going to be? When we see the way that God works in the life of his people, we have to ask ourselves, am I willing for God to work that way in my life? So I've got a couple questions I want you to think about. The first question is this. When you consider all the routines of your life, when you consider the social and the political and the religious and the geographic circumstances that you're most comfortable, and let's be honest, I think a lot of us, if left to our own, we would probably just keep going in the same way, in the same direction, in the same routines in life because it's comfortable. If that's true, let me ask you this. Where in your life do you pause to let God lead you? I mean, where in your life do you make space to say, you know what, God, if you want to lead me even way outside of my comfort zone, even way outside of my routines, God, if you want to break some of the routines in my life, I'm going to make space so that you can do just that. Can you answer that question? 
Where in your life do you pause? Do you create some space? Do you carve out some time so that God can lead you? Because let's acknowledge something. There's no way that you're going to have space for God to speak to you unless you work hard to carve out that space. Our world has no problem taking up every second of every day, every week of our entire life. The only way we make space to listen to the voice of God is if we actually make the space, fight for it, work for it, carve it out. And in fact, that's true of anything worthwhile in our lives, right? I mean, the busyness of our lives is just going to take over And if we want to get physically healthy, we need to work and make that a priority. If we want to get relationally healthy with our friends or with our spouse, we need to work and create space for it. If we want to live lives where God can lead, we need to work and create space for God to speak to us and tell us where he would lead us in our lives. Which comes to the second question, if we are making that space, then are we able to say with some level of confidence, are we able to answer the question, where is God leading you? The first step is to make it a regular practice of opening our heart, opening our mind, creating that space and listening to God. But then the second step is to say, this is where God's leading me. This is where God's directing me. So this is where I'm going to go. But here's the challenge. We also live in a world where lots of other people, lots of other influences are more than happy to take over the leadership role in our lives. I mean, let's be honest. Your boss would love to take over the leadership role of your life and tell you exactly where to go every minute of every day. Your coworkers would love to take over your time and own everything going on. I mean, even your family members, people you know and trust and love, would love to take over all of your time. Heck, we're coming up to election season. Your political party or the official that you might vote for would love to take over leadership in your life. Some of the desires of your heart and the desires of your mind would love to be the ones leading you. But as followers of Jesus, all of those must take a distant second place. All of those must take a distant second place to where God is leading you and leading me and leading us in our lives. Now, I certainly hope and I pray and you know that all those things, our economic life, our political life, our family life, our relational life, all those things can and should be part of how God leads us. But they must be part of it by being submitted to God's first leading. Can you answer the question, where is God leading you? in your life? And there's only one way to be able to answer that question with any confidence and with any consistency. The way is by regularly practicing, regularly putting into practice space and time where we listen to God's voice 
so that more and more it would rise above the noise of all the other voices in our lives. And here's what I want to do. I want us to practice that together right now. My hope for us as a church, and this is both my hope now today, but this is also your hope and our hope throughout history of Centennial Covenant Church and indeed throughout the history of God's people. Our hope is that we come and we read God's Word, but we don't just read it and walk away going, oh, that was nice, good job me, I learned something. We start putting it into practice. So here's what we're going to do today. I'm going to create some space right now for us to practice prayer. For some of us, this type of prayer practice might be familiar and comforting because we've been doing it over years and years. For some of us, it might be new and unfamiliar or even uncomfortable. And let me just say right off the bat, whatever the experience is for you, that's just fine because that's the point of practice. The point of practice is to keep learning, starting wherever you're at no matter if it's the first time or the thousandth time, and to keep practicing so that we grow from where we're at to where God might have us go. Second, here's my challenge. The prayer that we're going to practice together right now, again, just like any area of life, if you want to get physically healthy, you need to work out regularly. You need to eat healthy on a daily basis. If you want to get better in your career, you need to learn and grow in your skills with consistency. If you want to get healthier in your marriage or in your friendships, you need to work on it regularly. So also, if we want to be led by God through prayer, we have to put it into practice regularly. So my invitation is the prayer that we practice today, where are you going to practice it regularly over the next week and month of your life. We did this a little last week. We called it the prayer of examine. It's an ancient way to listen to God by paying attention to the details of your life. Why? Because we believe that God is already present in your life. And if we just slow down to pay attention to what we're already experiencing, We believe that God can speak to us and lead us through that. This past week, we put together a little tool to just help guide this practice. If you want, you can find it on the website. You can download it. You can stick it in your journal. You can post it up on your bedroom wall or in your bathroom mirror. It's a simple practice that can just take a few minutes. And I'd encourage you right now, would you practice this prayer with me so that through your life, God might lead you. I'm going to lead the prayer, create some space for silence. And would you pray with me now? Lord, we confess, we acknowledge that um, our lives are so filled with noise and all of that noise can drown out your voice speaking to us. So right now, help us, Lord, to hear your voice speaking to and leading us. I'd invite you to now take a moment and just think back over the past 24 hours, the past day of your life. And first, acknowledging God's presence in the midst of it all 
Call to mind some things that you're grateful for. Call to mind some things that you are thankful to God were present in the past day of your life. Second, with that gratitude on your heart, pay attention to the moments, those specific moments when you were filled with joy. Not the shallow happiness sometimes celebrated by the world, but the deep joy of the abundant life God desires. Where did you experience joy over the past day of your life? Call those moments to mind. Next, over the past day, where did you experience sorrow? Where was there hurt or heartache or brokenness or heaviness? Call those moments to mind. And then again, acknowledging that God has been with you every one of those moments. Simply pray right now, asking God, where are you leading me in my life?